The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, September 15th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Scientists have detected phosphine on Venus. Is it a sign of life? What it's like to be in the virtual audience of a televised game? If you have trouble breathing when wearing a mask, here is an explanation of why and some tips to help. And Shrekfest is going virtual this year. Also, Shrekfest is a thing that exists. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So, the big news yesterday was that Venus may hold signs of life. Microbial life, specifically, not any alien friends or foes. A team of astronomers published their findings in a pair of peer-reviewed papers yesterday saying that they had detected phosphine in Venus's atmosphere. They say the primary explanation could be that something is alive on Venus. Quoting the New York Times, Chemists compare phosphine to a pyramid, one atom of phosphorus topping a base of three hydrogen atoms. The NASA spacecraft Cassini detected it in the atmospheres of Jupiter and Saturn. In that setting, said Clara Sousa Silva, a molecular astrophysicist at Harvard University and one of the paper's co-authors, life is not necessary to form phosphine. The immense heat and pressures can jam the phosphorus and hydrogen atoms together to form the molecule. But on smaller, rocky planets like Earth and Venus, the researchers say there is not enough energy to produce copious amounts of phosphine in the same way. There is one thing, however, that appears to be very good at producing it, anaerobic life, or microbial organisms that don't require or use oxygen, end quote. Sarah Stewart-Johnson, a planetary scientist at Georgetown University who was not part of the study, said, quote, There's been a lot of buzz about phosphine as a biosignature gas for exoplanets recently. How cool to find it on Venus, end quote. But, quoting the Times again, Some researchers question this hypothesis, and they suggest instead that the gas could result from unexplained atmospheric or geological processes on a planet that remains mysterious. But the finding will also encourage some planetary scientists to ask whether humanity has overlooked a planet that may once have been more Earth-like than any other world in our solar system, end quote. And that's really the takeaway from a lot of people, the fact that we've overlooked Venus for so long. NASA said in a statement yesterday that they have not historically dedicated much of their research towards Venus due to its, quote, extreme temperatures, atmospheric composition, and other factors, end quote. But that two of their four upcoming NASA Discovery Program missions are focused on Venus. And, you know, fair not to have dedicated too much time to it. Venus's surface temperatures average over 800 degrees Fahrenheit, with the planet literally melting metal within minutes. Only two of the dozens of robotic missions to Venus have ever succeeded in capturing images of the planet's surface. Many people, however, have been saying that we should prioritize Venus for years. 
people including Carl Sagan, who wrote of the planet in the journal Nature in 1967, quote, If small amounts of minerals are stirred up to the clouds from the surface, it is by no means difficult to imagine an indigenous biology in the clouds of Venus. While the surface conditions of Venus make the hypothesis of life there implausible, the clouds of Venus are a different story altogether, end quote. And continuing from Mashable, quote, as Sagan pointed out, a high carbon dioxide atmosphere was no obstacle. Up at the 50-kilometer layer at the top of Venus's clouds, conditions are actually hospitable and almost Earth-like. Organisms could thrive in the upper reaches the same way bacteria thrives around superheated CO2-rich vents at Yellowstone. Add sunlight and water vapor to CO2, he said, and you have the recipe for that building block of life, photosynthesis. End quote. Still, many are skeptical about the origins of this phosphine and what it means for possible life on Venus, but in order to find out more, we'll have to explore Venus more, and whether that yields a discovery of microbial life or not, it represents a definite shift in interest toward the second planet from the sun. Long-time listeners of the show... <laughs> long time, will know that I have been fascinated with the many creative ways sports leagues have found to fill the stands during crowdless games, from cardboard cutouts to robots, and more commonly for the well-funded, virtual fans. I think the NBA, in partnership with Microsoft Teams, have been doing this on the largest scale so far, with courts in their quarantine bubble in Orlando having 17-foot LED screens on three sides of the court, all filled with virtual fans. Now, I'm not really a basketball person, so I haven't been watching the NBA games, but I have been watching Britain's Got Talent, where their used-to-be-live, now-pre-recorded shows feature a virtual wall of over 500 fans. It's honestly tough to figure out the perspective when watching it on TV. It looks absolutely ginormous, this huge, looming image of our black mirror reality, with the rest of the studio, what is usually a cozy-looking theater in London, now a disconcerting black hole of nothingness. As a viewer, I had so many questions. Are those real people? Are they actually watching it live? What if they misbehave? Is the applause and laughter we're hearing from them or just canned sound effects like many games and shows have been using? How do you get to be in the audience and what does it look like from their side? I haven't been able to find too many details about how Britain's Got Talent is doing it and frankly, I'm sure none of you care. But a writer at Wired was invited to sit in on an NBA playoffs game between the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics in August and shared her experience, which shed a bit of light on some of my questions. So while I don't know what software Britain's Got Talent or the myriad of other shows and leagues doing virtual audiences use, the NBA is solidly in the Microsoft Teams camp, specifically their new Together mode, which puts you in a virtual space together with the other people on the call, and is how the fans at NBA games look like they're actually seated in stadium seats together unlike other virtual audiences like what we saw at the national conventions, who are just a wall of video conference rectangles. Each seating section is a different conference call, so you're not on a call with, like, 300 other people, just the few dozen or so in your section, along with staff members who are there to help you through the process and try to make you look all excited on screen. Now, as far as how to get a ticket... Everywhere's doing it differently, but basically there's the invited guests, like retired players, there's slots for friends and family of the teams, season pass holders, 
people who enter a lottery for tickets, and press, especially ones like Kate Nibbs from Wired, who tweeted a critique of the 2020 Michelob Ultra courtside virtual fan experience when she watched it on TV and was subsequently invited to join and see it for herself. So, you know, you can always go the critical tweet route. The way Nibs described it, it seems like you could chat with the other people in your section, but presumably your conversation would not be projected into the stadium. And similar to some in-person games or a live recording of a TV show, Michelob Ultra had brought in a hype man and tried to engage the audience in different activities in between gameplay, like doing the wave, and they even did a Q&A with some of the NBA legends who were seated in their section. While parts of it are an annoying experience, like having to watch the game on a split screen on your computer instead of on the TV, and making sure to be on all the time instead of lounging back on your couch in all of your slovenly glory, Nibs points out that all of that kind of makes it just like going to a game in person. You know, you've got all of the inconveniences as well as some of the stuff that makes it really special, and overall you're kind of there more for the experience than really for the game, even if you're a huge fan. Some people think all of these virtual fan experiences are fairly dystopian to watch on TV, and that may be true, but I do think they're cool opportunities for fans and really do help the players or performers who tend to play off the energy of a crowd. Overall, I just think it's one of the many things that we're seeing some pretty creative solutions to right now that could maybe impact the way things are done in the future. So I'm definitely going to keep seeing how this plays out, and we'll update you whenever I come across a particularly interesting development. And on that note, you will be glad to hear that I did manage to find out how to enter for a chance of being picked to be in the virtual audience for the grand final of Britain's Got Talent on October 10th. So if that happens, I will report back all the details on what it's really like being a virtual audience member. We've got some more mask tips for you today. A lot of people report having some discomfort or difficulty with breathing while wearing a mask. Now, Christopher Ewing, a lung specialist, echoes what all the other experts say, which is that wearing a standard surgical mask or a cloth face covering does not lower your oxygen levels or trap a significant amount of carbon dioxide inside of the mask. But it can affect your breathing. Sort of. Ewing said in Discover Magazine, quote, Most of us aren't used to wearing face masks, and the sensation of having a mask on your face might make someone anxious or uncomfortable. Although much of our breathing is unconscious and driven by our respiratory center, it can also be influenced by the mind. When we're feeling discomfort even subconsciously, it can change the way we breathe. End quote. Discover continues, quote, Changing our breathing patterns subconsciously can lead to an abnormal breathing pattern. Either we hyperventilate, meaning that we're breathing too quickly, or we hypoventilate, meaning we breathe too slowly or too shallow. Either one of these dysfunctional breathing patterns can lead to the dizziness or breathlessness that people often mistake for a lack of oxygen or a buildup of carbon dioxide inside of their mask, end quote. So if you find this happening to yourself, here are a few things that you can do. The first is called box breathing or corner breathing. Visualize a box, and when you inhale, that you're filling all corners of the box with your breath. Count to four as you do that, and then pause, and slowly exhale. Another technique is called belly breathing, which is particularly helpful if you realize that you've been mostly breathing from your chest or up at your neck, which is common when you're stressed or anxious. 
So to practice belly or diaphragmatic breathing, put your hand over your stomach and focus on making your stomach expand as you breathe in and feeling your hand move back into you as you exhale. Apart from breathing exercises, you can also try wearing your mask for shorter periods of time to start with and building up to longer installments. I mean, of course, you can't just take it off in certain situations, so this practice might be done better at home. And whether you're doing that or not, a good recommendation also is to practice wearing your mask while doing a distracting activity at home, like watching TV or playing a video game. That way you get used to wearing the mask, like you would a new pair of glasses. That way, the mask feels familiar and you don't have to be stressed about wearing the mask while you are stressed about the dozens of other things there are to be stressed about when out and about in public these days. So basically, mind over matter, but that's easier said than done. There are conferences and festivals for everything these days. Perhaps the pandemic will play a role in finally bursting the conference bubble, but in the short term, they're all migrating online. And the latest one to announce they've officially gone virtual, Shrekfest. Yes, there is an actual annual festival for fans of the 2001 DreamWorks fairy tale riff Shrek. Really, it's more for fans of the weird post-ironic memification of Shrek. Fortunately, if their announcement video is any indication, it seems like the organizers of Shrekfest are completely self-aware. So Shrekfest has been happening every year since 2014 in Madison, Wisconsin. It's organized by 3GI Industries, the same people who made the feature-length Shrek Retold a few years back, in which over 200 people were invited to remake the original film scene by scene. Collaborators were assigned scenes and could do whatever they wanted with it. So you've got a weird mix of animation, cosplay, veritable fever dream sequences going from scene to scene and changing at breakneck pace. It's wild. I've yet to watch the whole thing, but even just some clips of it are enough to do your head in. And I have to wonder if it was inspired by Star Wars Uncut, which remade A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back in 15 second intervals by fans recreating it however they liked. That one actually won a legit Emmy Award, and I first saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival. But something tells me Shrek Retold might not be getting the same honors. You can watch it for yourself, though, and come to your own opinion. It is streaming on YouTube, or, more accessibly, it is also available for purchase on VHS. But anyways, Shrekfest is, according to the website, quote, A festival celebrating Shrek. If the Shrek part confuses you, don't worry, very common, then just focus on the fest part. Live music, beer, food, games, and prizes, highlighted by our infamous onion-eating contest, and topped off by an outdoor screening of the 2001 Oscar-winning film Shrek. Basically, a nice day. End quote. Of course, this year it will be going virtual, so instead of the nice community festival vibes of hanging out in a park drinking with green-painted strangers... They will instead be streaming and showcasing all of these Shrek-themed visual art, music videos, animations, etc. that people have been submitting this year, as well as playing games and handing out prizes. It is happening this Saturday the 19th and appears to be free, I think, so, you know, if you want to attend, have at it. And listen, it seems really offbeat, maybe to the point of off-putting at first, but... Having been a part of niche online communities myself that have spun into even more niche communities, particularly propelled by in-person conferences and events, I can kind of see the true heart here. 
doesn't look like they're doing anything wrong or hurting anyone. And the array of people who attend, particularly, I think, because it's usually in a public park, is surprisingly diverse. And honestly, it just looks like everyone's having a good laugh. And I will also say huge kudos for choosing to migrate online instead of trying to still hold the event in a public park, even if it is outdoors, particularly after the creators of every Shrek fan's favorite song, All Star, still performed at the super spreader event, Sturgis. Smash Mouth, of course, cannot be entirely blamed for the Sturgis motorcycle rally, nor did that song originate in Shrek, by the way. It debuted in the iconic 1999 film Mystery Men, A Hill I Will Die On. But anyways, Smash Mouth should have turned down that gig and instead joined the responsible fans at Shrekfest Online. So as I'm recording this, Apple is kicking off their Time Flies event, and if you're curious about what they announce and what insiders think about it, be sure to check out the Tech Meme Ride Home, hosted by Brian McCullough. He'll probably be covering a few of the announcements on today's episode and even more tomorrow, so you can pull that up in your podcast feed. But that is all for me today. I am going to go watch Mystery Men on VHS. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. 